0: Uh, chapter 14 in our study of the covenant and in this particular section we're going to be looking at how to enter the covenant and specifically uh, when it actually happens. Uh, All the other things we've looked at (coughs) are what we have called and referred to as prerequisites for entering into the covenant, but now we're going to look at the point at which our sins are actually forgiven, where they are actually uh, taken place uh, and forgiven by God. We're going to see where we receive the Holy Spirit and when we enter into that covenant with Jesus Christ. Christian baptism, which really we should probably refer to it as a believer's baptism because a person is not a Christian until they're baptized I hope you understand what I'm saying this is not going to be an exhaustive study because there's so much more that could be said than what I could put in this uh, short period of time but baptism is very clearly one of the precepts of the new covenant uh, as we've seen with the other precepts of faith repentance and baptism and with those three as well as baptism they are not an option. Every one of these are, according to Scripture, they are an, a command of God. We would need professional help from a veteran wolf in sheep's clothing to be taught that Christian baptism is anything but what the New Testament teaches, and that is, it is the point where salvation is, is given. I heard a story about a young boy who got a cat for his birthday, and uh, after a few days, he was sitting on the couch with his cat, and uh, he was watching television, and he saw a commercial come across TV for Tide detergent. Tide, they said on the commercial, is the best you can buy. It will clean anything and get it cleaned right down to the core. And he thought, huh, my cat's starting to smell a little bad. I think I need to get some Tide. So he went down to the store, talked to the grocer because he didn't know where to find this. And he said, grocer, I, I want to I buy some Tide. He said, well, it's over here on this shelf. He pointed it to him. And he said, well, why do you need Tide, young man? And the boy said, well, I've got this cat. And he smells kind of bad, and I thought I would give him a bath. And the grocer tried to talk him out of it. It's a little too strong for bathing a cat. Well, he tried to talk the boy out of it, but the boy just wouldn't hear it because he wasn't going to be swindled by some grocer who wanted him to buy something else of less value that would not clean his cat. So he got the cat. He went home, washed his cat, or he got the tide, I should say. Went home and washed his cat. And a couple weeks went by, and the boy went to the grocery store again, and that, cash, or that grocer happened to see him and said, aren't you that young man that came in here and bought some tide for your cat? And he said, yes, yes. He said, how's your cat doing? He said, well, my cat died. He said, I told you, I told you the tide was too strong for your cat. He said, it wasn't the tide that killed him. It was the spin cycle. (laughs) Tide wasn't a problem at all. There are theological spin cycles, as I mentioned this morning, that have gotten a lot of people into trouble. And in this lesson, I want to begin, I think there's 10 or 12 different spin cycles that I want to present to you. We might get through three of them tonight, but the spin doctors in our world today, in the religious world, want to put a, put a spin on things in the scriptures to make it say what they want it to say. So I'm going to have you turn to a couple scriptures to begin with. John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 5, if you want to get those and be ready. Uh, but one of the, the first spin cycle is, and it's probably one you've heard yourself, and that is that Christian baptism has nothing to do with being born again. This is what the spin doctors want to say. Baptism, Christian or believers' baptism has nothing to do with being born again. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And look at this, if you will, like you're looking at it for the very first time. Let the scriptures say what the scriptures have to say. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? Jesus answered in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus makes it very clear in the scriptures here and other places that we must be born again. That is a second time. Even the professional spin doctors will say that we must be born again, but the question is, how does this happen? How does this take place? The argument the spin doctors want to make is that the water birth that John speaks of here is speaking of the first birth of a child coming into the world. And later on, years later on, we we decide that we want to become a Christian. We will pray and ask Jesus into our heart or we will receive what they call the, the uh, a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit and we will even go to the point of speaking in tongues and that's proof that you now have salvation but notice the progression of the conversation between jesus and nicodemus notice this jesus told him in verse 3 you have to be born again to be part of the kingdom secondly nicodemus asked verse 4 how can a man be born when he is old he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born can he? I don't, think or I don't think Nicodemus was so ridiculously that far off base that he did not understand how a child was born. He did not, that he did not understand the birth process given originally by way of a man and a woman. But thirdly, Jesus responds to his question in verse 5 to tell him how to be born again. Not to tell him how to be born the first time notice this. He tells him that a person has to be born again of water and the spirit or something is not going to happen. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now water is as much a part of the entire equation for salvation to, to come into place as is the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? We simply look at Scripture. And there's something else that I want you to notice, uh, in, verse, in, in 1 John chapter 5 verses 7 and 8 these two, the water and the spirit meet at the very same time when we are obedient to God in, in the plan of salvation 1 John chapter 5 this is overlooked many times by, by many people 1 John 5 verses, beginning at verse number 7 it says for there are three that bear witness in heaven, now notice the first one is in heaven The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These are one. And in verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth. What are they? The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now, this is a key element that we need to hold on to. Just as the Godhead is always united as one in agreement, we never have Jesus doing something and God saying, Son, why did you do that? We weren't in agreement on that. But everything Jesus does, God and the Spirit are in unity with that. And the Apostle John says that there is a Trinity on the earth that is always in agreement as well. <clears throat> that is the Spirit, the water, in the blood and that is because we meet them at the very same time when God said we meet them and that is in baptism. Now you know Acts 238. Peter said there repent and each of you be baptized that is Christians are baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 you know this one as well it says we cannot have forgiveness of sin without something taking place. What has to happen? bloodshed every time so when Peter says that you receive the remission of sins at baptism it is because we meet the blood of Jesus Christ in that water spiritually speaking okay we receive the Holy Spirit immediately when our sins are cleansed by God that's what Jesus promised us that's what we see in in Matthew 28 and Mark chapter 16 and other places as well but there are other passages that agree with this. Titus 3, 5, Acts 19, 1 through 5, and Acts 22:16, 16, when Paul uh, recounts his uh, coming into uh, uh, salvation himself. But the spirit and the water and the blood of Christ are all met at the same time. How many of you knew Clarence Greenleaf? Anybody know Clarence Greenleaf? He's the one who started uh, Grundy Mountain Mission many, many years ago. And I love what he said. I've been down to Grundy quite a few times. Clarence Greenleaf said these words. He said, if God wants to use water in the process of salvation, he should be able to do that. Why? Because he's God. If God wanted to use water, he should be able to use water. Now, the Greek text, and I, I don't want to get into Greek too deeply, but the Greek text also proves that the water and the spirit are met at the same time. Not water at your first birth and spirit at your second birth when you decide to become a Christian. In the Greek language, there is only one preposition that links water and the spirit into the same rebirth. And I'll point this out very clearly here in just a moment. In other words, Jesus did not say that one is born of water and then later he's born of the spirit. But he said that when one is born again, he or she is born of the water and the spirit. We have to meet the water and the Spirit at the same time to fulfill the command of God. And this is consistent, as, as I said, with, with uh, quite a few other scriptures throughout the New Testament. Uh, 1 John 5, 7, Acts two thirty eight Acts 19, and Titus chapter 3. <clears throat> I heard a so-called professor one time who said this. He said, This cannot be referring to Christian baptism because Jesus did not command that until after his resurrection and people weren't baptized in that way until Acts chapter 2. He was right, but he was also wrong at the very same time. Christian baptism was not commanded. A person could not be saved until after the resurrection of Christ and the first people to obey that command were the 3,000 or about 3,000 on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But John 3, 5 was a prophecy of the Christian baptism that was yet to come under the new covenant. What Jesus said in John 3, 3 through 5, did not cover the old covenant. It was something that was yet to come, okay? Jesus was telling Nicodemus how to get into the kingdom, that is the kingdom of God in verses 3 through 5. And the kingdom was not here yet in John chapter 3. As a matter of fact, Daniel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, and Isaiah chapter 2 all all find their fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches that sermon. And we all have references in our Bibles that will point to Daniel 2, Joel 2, and Isaiah chapter 2. And so Nicodemus could not enter into it yet because it had not come into existence. The kingdom of God was only, as the scriptures speak, it was only at hand or about to come into play, but it had not entered into the world at this point. Before Acts 2, the kingdom of God is always something that is future. But in Acts chapter 2, or after Acts chapter 2, it is now here, if you read the scriptures and see that for yourself. But in the same way, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not given until Acts chapter 2. We're told in the Bible, in the, uh, of the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will be with you, and then he will be in you. He was with them, yes, but he could not be in them until Christ ascended back into heaven. So not only could Nicodemus not be a part of the kingdom, but he could not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit either. Acts chapter 2 is kind of the, I like to think of it as the, the hinge of the door or the door with a hinge on it that goes from the Old to the New Testament, the New Covenant. Uh, and I pointed this out to many people. Even up at the jail, some of these guys find this to be uh, something they've never heard because I point out, when does the New Testament start? And every, every single time they will point to Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's not the case, as we know today, because no testament no covenant no will comes into effect until somebody dies jesus was alive all through matthew mark luke and john he died at the end so this new will could not come into effect until after he died jesus was simply prophesying to nicodemus how people would be born again of the water and the spirit and how they would see and enter into his kingdom once it came into existence Nicodemus was still alive when the kingdom came into existence. So he was probably, possibly one of those in that that group of 3,000 who accepted Christ and became a part of that kingdom at that point. Any questions on number one? All right, spin cycle number two. Let's kill another cat. (laughs) It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves us. Have you ever come up against that? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves. I was in a uh, jail ministry up north before I came down here. And uh, they asked me to be kind of a, uh, a, 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 what do you want to call them? An escort for a group of people coming in because they didn't have the permission to come in by themselves. So they asked me to go in and sit with the prisoners while these, these people put on their spiel, I guess you'd call it. And uh, it was Two or three women doing this when there were a couple men sitting there, but they would sing a few songs, and these inmates they sat there like, What are you doing? I mean, they were just dumbfounded, and these people were almost telling them, speak in tongues now. Speak, you gotta do this. You got there's no other way you're gonna get to to be have salvation until you speak in tongues. And some of the inmates told me later, we just said and we were in. They said, Praise the Lord! And I'm thinking, how ridiculous when there's not one verse of Scripture that they laid out to say, here's how that came into existence. Blah, 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 you're all saved. Sounds like a turkey to me, but it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves. In Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn there, the last chapter of Matthew, Christ has already died, been buried He's now resurrected, and he's just about to ascend into heaven. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've heard some people try to claim that this reference here is a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. First of all, the only ones who were ever promised the Holy Spirit baptism in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, were the apostles. They are the only ones who were ever promised Spirit the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the only times we see baptism of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles are in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. The baptism of the Holy Spirit came directly from one place. You know where it was? It came from heaven. It came from God. It was accompanied, as we look in Acts chapter 2, with two other things. A rushing mighty, the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Not that their hair blew or that their clothes blew. And then they had tongues of fire sitting on their heads. Now, how many people today have claimed to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you don't see or hear about the the wind or or the, the tongue of fire on their head? Jesus Christ is the only one that can administer the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not a man on this earth, not a woman on this earth, not a human who can administer this. The apostles were able to pass on spiritual gifts, and this was referred to in the scriptures as the falling of the Spirit on certain people, but it was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit came by the hand of Christ from heaven every single time. And the manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit came by the the hands of the apostles as God approved the ones to whom they were giving these gifts. But in the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus commands his apostles and his church, to go into the entire world and make disciples and to baptize and teach them until the world ends. That is our commission. I can baptize you in the name of Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins, to receive God's Holy Spirit in you, but I cannot baptize you with the Holy Spirit, only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. Spin cycle number three. There are those out there in our world today who claim that baptism was only for the Jewish people, period. It has no effect today. It's not meant for us today. It was only for the Jewish people back at this time. I had a couple in a, come, come to church where I used to visit, or uh, I wasn't the preacher, I should say. I was a member, and they came to the church here, and they'd been tending for a while because they had they had been indoctrinated in so much... Calvinism that it wasn't funny. And we thought that they wouldn't be there very long, but they stuck around, and it was through the love of the people and the process of teaching them slowly, listening to what they said before we tried to teach them something we just wanted them to hear. But we love them, and they finally accepted baptism they 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 were baptized into christ for the right reason and to my understanding they're still there being a part of christ's church where, where that is but because of their love for christ above all else and because of their love for the word of god they still remain in that covenant with him but they surprised some of us when they told us one time that their bible believing church their Bible-believing church, bat, the baptism in that church was only for the Jewish nation, it is not for us today. It only took sitting down with them a couple of times, sharing a couple different scriptures that began to demolish that, that denominational teaching that was in their minds. One of them was Acts 2.38, you know what that one says. It says, they were pierced to the heart, And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 39, he says, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call to him. But we weren't done yet. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul defines for us who was far off as he encourages the Gentiles who had come to Christ. And I want you to notice what he says here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11, beginning of verse number 11 down through verse 13. He says, therefore remember that formerly you The Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were formerly what? Far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says that the Gentiles at one time were far off from God. But Peter said in Acts 2.39 that the promise of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit that a person now receives at baptism is good for those who were far off, but now they can be brought very near to the things of God. The spin cycle argument that baptism is only for the Jews, as many uh, of these other arguments, really has no no merit or no place for debate when we come up against the scriptures and are willing to listen and hear what the scriptures have to say. But I guess my question to many people that I've spoken with is, do you really take the time to read what the Bible says? Or do you, have you just for too long listened to some guy up there taking his word for it? And then you walk out of the building saying, this is the doctrine that we hold to because he said so, or sadly, she said so. And they follow that person. Do they know that Jesus commanded us in the Great Commission to teach and to baptize everybody throughout the world who will listen and be obedient to God? Uh, I'm afraid that's not the case. It's just not the case for many people. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard the story. I forget who it was. but had a preacher one time who sat down with a, a couple in their home, and he had them open their Bible, which is always a good thing to do because you don't want to just tell them what your Bible says and try to mislead them. And he, he had them read Mark 16, 15, and 16. And the woman read it because she was kind of wearing the pants in the family. And she read Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is saved shall be baptized. Is that right? He said, read that one more time. She said, he that believes and is saved shall be baptized. He said, stop a minute. Look at the page. Read the words that are on the page. Seven times she read that. He that believes and is saved shall be baptized. The eighth time she read it one word at a time. She actually saw the words and not just reading from memory what somebody told her behind the pulpit. He that believes and is... Those words were now backwards from what she'd been taught. Some people have such a hard time letting the word of God come into their brain and let it sink in because I don't want to upset my preacher or my pastor or whatever word it might be for that individual person. People, God's word is here for a reason. It's not here for us to tinker with or to mess with or to do with it what we would do rather than what God has said. Spin cycle number four. You don't get baptized to get saved. You get baptized because you're already saved. Ever heard that one? It's out there. There are spin doctors who will spin this one and, and they will hold to this and they believe that a person gets baptized not to get saved, but they get baptized because they already are. I've asked dozens of people who who have held to this, and after reading it out loud on their own, I would ask them, does salvation come before or after baptism, according to what the scripture says there? And I haven't taken any official statistics on it, but I would venture to say that more than 75% of them never really answer that properly. They always answer it improperly. Because, again, they're not willing to hear what the scriptures say. They have just been indoctrinated. Somebody's drilled something into them, even from childhood. And as they get older, they're going to hold on to that. And that's why I believe it's so, so important that these little ones, even younger than these, that they hear the truth of the word of God and they read it for themselves as they learn to read and see that it's necessary to take it for what it says. People have heard a lie for so long that for some it's, they just cannot decipher plain scripture any longer. They've been brainwashed that once you're saved, then you get baptized. But Jesus did not say, he that believes and is saved shall be baptized. He said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. There's a world of difference there if we're willing to see it. Jesus was certainly, certainly aware of which one would come first because he's the one, by way of his Holy Spirit, who told the writer how to put this down on, pen, on paper with pen and ink. He's the author of salvation to everyone who obeys him, Hebrews 5, 9. Now, another popular argument that the professional spin doctors try to use to promote their idea that a person has salvation before baptism, is they try to use, and again, I don't want to go into the Greek too deeply, but, but just to make this on a, a, uh, a simple level, I guess I want to say, they want to translate the word ice, Greek word ice, for the remission of sins. And they want to make it say, because of the remission of sin. Have you ever heard this one? A person is baptized for the remission of sin. They want to make that word, I say, baptized because you already have the forgiveness of sin. But let me share share something with you. Uh, 1793 times, this one little word, E-I-S, ice is how you pronounce it in the Greek. 1793 times it's mentioned in the New Testament alone. And not one time does it mean because of. It is almost always translated either for or into and not once because of. Not one time. These boards that got together were overwhelmingly Calvinistic who sat down and tried to translate these Bibles. They were 99% or 90% of them were denominationalists who had more of their input than anybody else who might be on this board who was thinking correctly and wanted the correct thing done. But they want to translate even Acts 2.38 improperly, but they just can't do it. I just can't picture these religious uh, doctors putting it up on a chalkboard and trying to figure out how they might say something different than what Peter actually said in the Greek. They can't do it. But they will do it when it's possible for them to do it to mislead a lot of people. But this is the only place, the only place in all the New Testament of the 1,793 times where where some want to change the meaning of the Greek word here to be because of rather than for. They're content with the meaning of the same word in Matthew 26, 27, and 28, which says, And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. If they had it their way, they would say it completely different. But I don't know of one preacher alive who would want to say that Jesus poured out out his blood because our sins were already forgiven. wouldn't make any sense. Jesus died because I already had salvation? What was the purpose of his death then? It doesn't make any sense. But because Acts 2.38 goes against their theological assumptions and those things that have been drilled into them for so long, they try to change the text just enough so the common man will not look any deeper and just accept it because somebody behind a pulpit said so. That should not be the case at all they don't like what the Greek text says, but they had to be intellectually honest when they came up against Acts 2.38. They could not change that and have it sound any way near what they wanted it to say. If Acts 2.38 was the only place that it mentioned this, and there was no other place in scripture, we might be a little more uh, lenient on their thinking here, but, but it just doesn't happen. I guess I'm just naive enough to believe that that God was smart enough to say what he said, and we need to leave it at that. Don't you agree? While we have Acts 2.38 in our minds, I want us to think for a moment just a moment about, uh, remind you, I guess, about the prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. We've read this a few times as we've looked at the covenant. And it says there that God set the new covenant up. He's the one that originated this. And he would forgive their iniquities and he would remember their sins no more. This happens. And I know I hope everyone in this room at this point in time understands that when we go down into the death of Christ in baptism, we contact the blood that was shed at his death. Romans six, one through six, as well as Romans six, sixteen through eighteen. When Peter said Be baptized for the remission of sin. He was telling them that baptism was the point of entering into this covenant. Baptism is the point of entering into the covenant and where we receive the promises that God said he would give us under that new covenant. We see that in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to stop there. The next one is a little lengthy. So we will stop there for tonight. I appreciate your attention. I hope this is simple enough for you uh, to understand. I don't think you're that uh, (laughs) dim-witted. What's that? Simple. Simple? I don't think you're simple people. Some of you are simpler than others, but anyway. We're going to sing an invitation.